Um, please take your Bibles, if you would, and, and turn to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Let us now give attention to God's Word. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much, uh, Father, for the privilege to open your word each and every week. And, and even to look at uh, a psalm as great and awesome as this. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to see truly not only who we are in Christ, but also, Lord, just the na your nature, your character, and, and to see your immense love. Oh, Lord, I pray that um, you would stir our hearts this morning, oh, God, especially if we're struggling with just going through the motions of worship or in our relationship with you, Lord, to, to, to truly have great affection and love for you. Lord, a, a love that would spill out to everyone that we come in contact with. We just thank you, oh, God, and pray this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning we, we return again to, to Psalm 23, and, and I just have to say, this has been an incredible psalm uh, to be able to study and to come and, and to preach to you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I mean, to think, brothers and sisters, that we, have, we, we lack nothing in our, our lives um, because the Lord is our God, and He is our shepherd. And that, that's just a, a, a wonderful thing. And I was thinking this week as I was reflecting upon that, how we might have benefits maybe through work or something where we have health insurance or we have vacation or we have savings plan or, or maybe we have the benefit of having car insurance or, or things like that. And I thought, you know, we can have benefits but yet not utilize those benefits. You know, I mean, could you imagine if you had the greatest health insurance ever, and you went to the doctor, and you found out that you had cancer, and you had to have these very expensive treatments, and so you went for the treatments, but then you started getting all these bills from the doctor and the hospital and the treatment center, and, and you were doing everything you could to try to pay those, but you were just like sinking, you know, under the weight of, of this great financial responsibility, when the reality is, is you had this benefit. You could just submit these bills to the hospital, and they would all be taken care of, or at least a large portion of those. Or, or what if you were in a car accident that was your fault, and you had to pay for your car and the other person's car, and let's say they had injuries as well, and then here again, there was a great financial stress upon you, and you're trying to take care of these, but you had the benefit of car insurance, and you didn't even uh, apply for that. Well, in some ways, as Christians, we can experience the same thing. Now, the beauty of the benefits that we have in Jesus Christ is, regardless of whether we're aware of them, 
uh, regardless of whether uh, we uh, seek to take advantage of those, we receive those benefits in Jesus Christ. We are adopted as his children. We are justified, you know. And uh, so that's just, that's just so exciting. But there is a degree in one sense to which uh, some of, we can uh, have benefits in Christ and yet we can struggle with worry or we can struggle with fear and we can forget the benefits that we have. And so, uh, you know, as we look at our lives, there's things there in our lives that would not need to be there if it were for us only to put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. And I know that as I've been reflecting upon this psalm in my own life, I've really asked that question. How might my life look differently if I truly understood the benefits that I have in Christ and how I can rest in Him? And so I, I think about the blessings that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. You see, there's that sense of nourishment, not only physically, does he give me all that I need to, to eat, but also spiritual nourishment. There's a sense of refreshment of my soul, a sense of rest that can come as I look to him as, as my shepherd. But not only that, but even in those times when I don't look to him, in those times when I sin against him, when those times where, as Steve Urkel used to say, if you're old enough to remember that TV show, I've fallen and I can't get up. You know, it's just maybe we've fallen in our sins. You know, or maybe we've been like those sheep that have wandered away from our Lord and our Savior. We have the beautiful promise that he restores my soul. He brings me back. He takes that staff and he, he brings me back. Uh, also, though, even when we don't sin, he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He gives us that sense of guidance. He directs us. He is, he is with us all along the way. And then today, we're going to look at God's protection. Um, I would doubt that there's probably any more comforting words in all of the Bible for Christians than the words in Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley... Of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff. They comfort me. Now I'm, I'm sure that, that most of us. Have heard these words a hundred times. Especially at funerals. Um, as they are to bring comfort. Uh, to the Christian in the face of death. And, and, and they do. And, and what a joy it is. To be reminded of the consolation. And protection we have. In Jesus Christ. But maybe sometimes we hear things so many times that we don't really understand them as well as what we think we do. And so I want us this morning to look at these words uh, once again and, and to see what they mean. And as we do so, here again, just following sort of the outline of the text this morning, I just want to reflect on what David says and, and what he means when he talks about the valley of the shadow of death. So first of all, a reflection. And then I want us to see what our response uh, not only ought to be, but what our response can be because of who we are in Jesus Christ. And then third and finally, the reasons why we can have that response. So a reflection, a response, and the reasons uh, for that response. So this morning, let's, let's reflect upon this. What does David mean by the phrase, the valley of the shadow of death? Well, it's, it's not an easy phrase, actually, in, in the Hebrew it's not easy to know exactly what David 
is referring to. And if you read commentators, they have different ideas or different emphasis on, on what the author is uh, referring to. But we do know that the sheep were oftentimes taken from the lowlands where they were in the wintertime up to the highlands, up to the, the summer pastures. And as they did, they not only had to go, go up the, the mountains, but they had to go through the valleys as well. And the valleys were places of rich pasture and water. We oftentimes don't think about that, but valleys can be very luscious and very green, but they can also be places of danger. And, and that was the case oftentimes as the sheep would walk through the valley because up in sort of the, the, um, the, the broken canyon walls, there would be uh, predators that would be up in those walls and they could just drop down upon the sheep and attack them. Or if you've ever been in a valley, you've seen how the sun sort of sweeps across the valley and part of it can be out in the bright sunlight, but there can also be shadows in the valley as well. And then there, there could be thieves or there could be predators as well. They could jump out and attack the sheep or there could even be hidden ledges where they could not see and they could fall off the edge. But there's all these different kinds of dangers. And not only that, but you can also be in the valley and, and storms can arise and could be very dangerous. I know when I was in North Carolina uh, as a younger man, I used to lead backpacking trips and we would take groups up in the mountains and it, one of the neatest things is you can be up on the mountains and you can look across the valley, you can look across the, to the other ridges of mountains, and you can see the weather coming in. And so if there's a rainstorm coming, lots of times you got advanced notice. You could see that. And, and if it was bad enough, you knew you need to get down and get to safety. You know, but you could see that. But if you're in the valley, that storm could just come upon you just like that. And you wouldn't even know it was coming. And in some cases... Uh, in, in biblical days, some of these storms would be so intense they would cause flooding, which of course could wipe the sheep out. And, and so it was very dangerous. Well, so as you, as you look at this and the idea of valleys, like I said, there's different ideas as, as to what we mean. Calvin thought the phrase here makes an allusion to the dark recesses or dens of wild beasts. You know, if you, if you walk up to a, a wild animal's den, they have this opening, and, and it was sort of that fear that you first have when you come up to that den. You don't know what's going to happen. Are, are you going to die? Um, and so, some, so that's what he sort of thought that this was referring to. Um, oftentimes people think of, of uh, the valley as death itself, as when we die. And so that's why oftentimes at funerals we, we use this a scripture passage to, to bring comfort. And, and it's not wrong. God certainly is a source of comfort in a Christian's life um, in those dying moments. But, but clearly David still has here the idea that he started in verse 3 where he's talking about leading us in paths of righteousness. But now he's telling us that those paths of righteousness may lead us into the valley of the shadow of death. And, and it's important to note, and I, I want you to hear this, okay? I want you to hear this, that the valley of the shadow of death is just as much a part of God's right path as are the green pastures that are beside the still waters. Because we need to know that as Christians. Because sometimes we can look at life and the green pastures that we're in, the spring grasses, and how they, they fill our bellies and 
and we have places to lie down beside the still waters, and we look at that and we go, oh, Lord, this is glorious. This is, has to be your will. But sometimes we just have to go through those dark valleys to get to that. And so we sort of see that as just God's, you know, he's accommodating just to get us to where we need to be. But no, that's not really the picture here in this psalm. Actually, the, the picture here is that those valleys are just as much a part of, of God's will and, and his purpose in leading us in paths of righteousness. So for the Christian, the Christian life is not always tranquil. Um, or, or as some people want to say, it's not just a mountaintop experience. But God also gives us the valleys, and he does so very intentionally. Because it's in the valleys with the trials and the dangers that we develop character. It, it is in those valleys that, that we draw closest, and we trust, and we're in dependence upon our shepherd. You see, our shepherd knows what's best. He, he is a God who is all-wise. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. Brothers and sisters, he is all-good. Even when he leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. So, so what does David have in mind here as he talks about this idea of the valley of the shadow of death? Well, this verse primarily speaks of the shepherd's ability to protect his sheep in moments of danger in the midst of dark and overwhelming troubles. And so he could be referring to those dark and difficult times in, in our lives. Uh, one commentator suggested that the force of the Hebrew can be translated the valley of deep gloom, or literally dense darkness. Dark, dense darkness, excuse me. It, it is in those times in our lives when things seem to be most dark. It means in the midst of total darkness, which suggests that David meant those times of gloom and despair when we approach or even enter spiritual depression. Those times when it's, it's difficult, those deep and dark trials of our lives that we don't think that we're ever going to get through. So could death be part of that? Definitely. And so the ideas that I think that are conveyed in the different commentators are not necessarily diametrically opposed. But he's just saying... Um, it is um, those dark times in the life of the believer. And if we translate that into the life of faith, then what we're being shown here is what the whole Bible tells us, and that is that the Lord does not spare his children life's dark valleys. We go through the dark valleys just like anyone else. Uh, John Calvin reminds us, he says, although true believers dwell safely under the protection of God, which we do, do we not? God is always with us. He's overseeing us. He said, nonetheless, they are exposed to many dangers and afflictions that are common to all of humanity. We suffer the same things that unbelievers do. God takes us down those, those same paths. He has very different purposes for his children, but even though he is protecting us, he exposes us to many dangers and afflictions uh, for a particular reason. And, and Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, as he reflects upon the sufferings of this life. He goes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That God, even as his children, while he takes us through those difficult times and those times of suffering and trials, he will bring us to the end, brothers and sisters. Okay, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. Okay, and so as we look at that and then we compare those sufferings 
with that glory that we will receive one day, those sufferings are nothing compared to the greatness of the glory that we will receive. And Paul knew this, and he lived his life as such. Uh, he talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24, 2 Corinthians 11, 24 and following, Paul talks about what his life was like. And he wasn't complaining. He was just sort of laying out uh, what his life had uh, encompassed. And it encompassed much suffering. He says, five times I received uh, to the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, robbers, his own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. He said, in the toil and hardship, uh, though many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. He had gone through all these things in his life. He had encountered that. And on top of that, he says... There has been the daily pressure uh, on me of my anxiety for all the churches. You see, he had a shepherd's heart. He loved the churches that he had planted and the people there. And he cared for them and he carried that, that burden as well. And so Paul speaks of the suffering of this present age. And he says that God has not cocooned us as his children. He has not put us in some kind of safe place where troubles and trials can't touch us. Uh, but instead... He knows that and has placed us in a fallen world and sinful world. Um, I, I could take you to any number of passages that, that uh, illustrate this, but I think the one that really stands out in my mind is Job. Uh, here's a man who is stripped of his children and possessions, and yet this is what Job confesses in, in Job 1.21. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And, and even though his wife urged him and, and her husband as he's sitting there scraping these stinking boils that are on his skin, she's, she's uh, encouraging him to curse God and die. And, and not only his wife, but also society and his friends were nagging him to, to just confess the great sin that surely he had to have committed for God to do these things. In, in his life. But from this ash heap that Job found himself in, he says, Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? You see, God has purposes that can only be ultimately be realized by enduring dark valleys. We cannot uh, learn these purposes uh, on the mountaintops. I mean, you think about Job's life. God wanted to reveal something about himself to Job that Job never could have learned in all of his wealth and his prosperity of his children and his families. He could only learn so in the deep depths of the affliction in the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes only affliction can make us into the kind of people who can stand tall for Jesus Christ in this world. And, and we need to be wary of anyone who suggests otherwise. There's a lot of false teaching out there. Come to Jesus. It's prosperous. Come to Jesus. It's easy. That is a lie. We all know Christians who have experienced dark times in their lives. Maybe even you have. 
been in those deep, dark valleys of the shadow of death. And, and you may look at that and you say, I know the Lord would protect me, but it was hard. Because it is interesting, because God does protect His children, and yet He does let them be exposed to those trials and those difficulties. But sometimes it's only in certain dark valleys that God can accomplish what He ultimately chooses to do in the lives of His children, is He wants to make us like His Son. Now, we use that phrase a lot, to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus, right? We all want to be like Jesus. Well, do we really? I mean, think about the depths of suffering and and humiliation and alienation that Jesus went through to do the will of His Father to redeem us as His people on the cross. And if that's the pattern of our shepherd's life, it can surely and it will be the pattern of our own lives as well. And so we ought not to think it strange when we go through those valleys that the Lord has in our lives, those trials that come upon us. Brothers and sisters, I know these last months, um, I mean, I know with 2020 and all the COVID stuff and things that are going on, it's not been easy. But I know even in the last couple of months, in, in many of your lives, you've, you've uh, experienced really difficult things. Um, I know that you have experienced deep, dark and overwhelming troubles. Some of you, that's been in your health and the things that you've suffered uh, in, in physically. Some of you, it's the circumstances that you're going through, maybe transitions that the Lord has done. For some of you, I know that you have lost loved ones. And your heart aches at that. But remember that the Lord is your shepherd who leads you in paths of righteousness, even through the valley of the shadow of death. And so how do do we respond to the Lord in these times? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, David writes, he says, I will fear no evil. Now, the word translated evil has a, a range of meanings. It can mean from a nasty taste in your mouth to a full moral evil. And sometimes in the Hebrew, the only way to tell what he's talking about is in the context. And, and here, at least, at least, it could mean more, but at least it means harm. So, you know, I will fear no harm, right? Even when the Lord leads me in the dark and overwhelming troubles, I will fear no harm, or I will not fear that evil, that somehow something bad and wicked will be done to me. Uh, Dr. Beakey, Joel Beakey, he, he cautions us when considering this sense of spiritual courage that we have as Christians, that there are certain uh, ditches that we can fall into as we exhibit this. We can say, I, I fear no evil. I, I have great spiritual courage in the face of this. He says, we, we need to be careful when considering spiritual courage, we must avoid the danger of misunderstanding the meaning of I will fear no evil. He said, number one, it doesn't mean that there's no evil to fear. There is definitely evil to fear. I mean, Peter talks about this as he writes to the church in 1 Peter 5, verse 8. He says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. In other words, be alert, people. This is a serious thing. Do I have your attention? He said, let me tell you why you need to be that way. 
He says, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. And we know that a lion, before it's going to eat, is, it, it roars. But this devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He's after you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to bring evil into your life. He doesn't mean it for good. He is there to destroy you. David's lack of fear also doesn't imply any self-sufficiency within ourselves to overcome everyday evils in our lives. In other words, we can't do it in our own strength. And you're like, yeah, I know that. But do we, brothers and sisters, how many times as we encounter things in our lives, do we try to take care of those things in, in our own wisdom and in, in our own ability? You know, how many things have you faced this week that were just overwhelming to you? And so what did you do? Maybe you sat down with your spouse or a good friend and you said, help me to think through this. I got to figure this out. And, and we, we try to wrestle with that rather than trusting on the Lord. Dr. Vicky goes on and he goes, sadly, he goes, the number of professing Christians who rely on their own strength is rising. He goes, their confidence is in the false hope of their human ability. He even goes on to say, many uh, leaders today try to persuade us that Christians can expose themselves to every kind of temptation without fear of sin's pollution. He said, even conservative Christians encourage participation in wicked and immoral media so long as we can say it is done for the glory of God or to bring more souls to Christ. And what he's referring to there is there's Christians who will say, you can go to a R-rated movie that's just filthy, you know, and, and raunchy, and you can, you know, as long as you can tie how this points back to Christ, that movie could be a witness to the Lord. You could even go to an X-rated movie, and if you could somehow tie that back to how this you know, deals with the fallenness in our world and, and God's redemption, then, then it's okay to watch that. And Dr. Beakey is warning us against that because there's a sense there in which we think that we can handle sin. And we think that we can handle the temptations in our life in our own strength. And he says that's not the way it is. The prophet Jeremiah warns us against such arrogance and trust in man. Instead, Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17, 7, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. It sounds a lot like Psalm 1, doesn't it, that we, that we read there. You see, Jeremiah's trust is not only in the Lord, but the Lord is his trust. And, and so as, as we uh, think about this and as we face the evil that is in us, uh, we need not fear. But it's not because we can handle it ourselves or because the things that we're facing are not really that bad. Brothers and sisters, I know uh, Christians who have gone through deep enough waters that they are overwhelmed. It almost sweeps them away, whether it be the death of maybe a child or, or some great uh, darkness that they had to walk through. Um, it, it is The evil is truly evil. But how is it that David can have such spiritual courage in, in these dark times? Well, let me give you the reasons that the psalmist lists here. And this, that's my third point. 
First of all, because God is present. Uh, there is a spiritual courage in dark places when faith centers on the presence of the good shepherd uh, of our sheep. Kids, I don't know if you think about this or not, but do you realize that there is never a moment when God is not with his people? Never. Ever. I don't care whether it's your sleep, whether you're on a walk, whether you're lost on a walk, God is always with you wherever you're at. He's always accompanying you. He's overshadowing you. He's surrounding you. He's holding you, as it were, by his hand. He's leading you onward. He's comforting you. God is with you. And whenever you're tempted to feel alone, and of course this isn't just for kids, even us as adults we feel that way sometimes. There's just sort of this ache in our heart where we just feel all alone. It is in those times that we need to go back to God's Word and to see over and over and over and over God tells His people, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. And we need to be reminded that God is with us. We may not feel that God is with us. We may not think that God is with us. We may be tempted to doubt that God is with us, but God is with us all the way. And and Paul found that out uh, when he was in Corinth. In in Acts 18, uh, Paul had uh, just come to Corinth. He was quite dejected because things had not gone well in Athens, and he was struggling. I'll just be honest with you, brothers and sisters. And, and it says in uh, Acts 18, 9, that the Lord came to Paul in the night to encourage his servant. And this is what the Lord said. He said to Paul, he said, Don't be afraid, for I am with you, and no one will attack you uh, to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. But the comfort that the Lord gives Paul here is that I am with you. In, the, in life's darkest moments, we have this assurance that God is with us. Even when we don't feel that way, it doesn't feel like God is there. Kids, have you ever gone on a walk with your parents, maybe at nighttime? Maybe with your dad, let's say. You're going on a walk with your dad, and uh, it's very dark. As a matter of fact, the moon's not out, okay? So there's like almost no light. And all of a sudden, you begin to hear these sounds that you don't recognize, and you begin to, you know, you wouldn't want to tell anybody in church this, but you were scared. Okay, you were terrified. And so you sort of reach up to find your dad's hand, and your dad actually reaches down and he grabs your hand, and he holds it tight. You know, and in that moment, doesn't it seem like everything's okay? Now, what's changed? You're just holding your dad's hand. How does that make things better? Well, just because you know that your dad is there and your dad is able to protect you, your dad loves you, he would do anything, including lay down his life for you. And brothers and sisters, even even when death itself reaches out to claim us, God is with us. Every Christian will go through different valleys We don't all go through the same thing here on this earth, but there is one valley that we will all go through together, and that is the valley of death itself, physical death. But as we do that, we must remember the words that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? But thanks be to God who gave us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because there is no evil in death to a child of God. 
death cannot separate us from the love of God. And so therefore, death really can do nothing to harm us. Yes, death can take away our body. It kills the body, but it cannot touch the soul. And so why should we be dreadful when there is nothing hurtful that death can actually do to us, especially as our, our God is there with us? It is at those times that the saints have God's presence with them. God is then at their right hand, and therefore, why should they be moved? But I will admit, brothers and sisters, sometimes for some Christians, when they come to the valley of the shadow of death, whether it be physical death itself, or whether it just be those dark times in their lives, sometimes Christians are surprised. Because rather than that sense of peace, of knowing that God is there, they are overwhelmed with fear and apprehension. Up to that time of point, maybe in their life as Christians, they've, they've had sort of a, a, a calm assurance in the Lord. But God takes them through such dark valleys that they find themselves in the midst of, of a place that scares them to death. And they find all their assurance and their confidence evaporating. There's no quiet assurance and there's nothing but turmoil rather than peace. And you might ask, why is that the case? Well, there could be a lot of reasons for that. But well, one of the reasons may be that Satan does his hellish utmost to disturb the peace and the assurance of God's people. But if we go through those times, maybe you're going through those times right now, and maybe you're struggling. You're like, Pastor Rick, I'd love to say I will fear no evil, but I'm wrestling right now. Well, remember this, that the ultimate issue is this. Not that you will face the valley with joy and assurance, though God oftentimes does give that sense of peace to His children, but rather will you face the valley with the understanding that you are united to Christ, that you are His, that He is present there with you. Will you know that your shepherd is with you? I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I think of the words of the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 43 where he says, uh, verse 2, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You see, God is, is present with His people. But also we see, and more briefly, that God protects His people. Look at the end of verse 4. I fear no evil. One, for you are with me. But two, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, I'm no expert on shepherds, but from what I understand, a shepherd carried two sticks with him. One was probably two, maybe three feet long. And it was, it was a rod. It was a club, if you would. That's, it was shaped more like a club with a narrow end and a thicker end. And a shepherd would hang that rod on his belt. And if a wild animal came, I've read that, that shepherds, at least modern day shepherds, can, can kill a wild beast with just one blow of that club. It's, it's, it's so powerful. The other stick that he carried was a staff. And that's more like a walking stick, like we would be used to if we went on a hike. But it had a crook on the top, and that shepherd would use that staff to guide and, and to lead his sheep. And so in, in the same way, God protects us from the enemies, his enemies and our enemies, 
with his, with his uh, rod, but he also protects us from ourselves and, and he guides us as we are tempted to, to go astray through his staff. And so God is present with us no matter what we encounter because we are his people that he purchased. Our, our souls belong to him. And, and our shepherd, Jesus, died on the cross forsaken of God be, because of our sin. Now think about this, okay? In light of the fact that God is present with us. The Father turned his back on the Son because of our sin. All the wrath and the alienation that we deserved, Jesus experienced on our behalf. Jesus was alienated from the presence of the Father. Why? So that God would always be present with us as his people. That there would be nothing that would stand between us. That our sins would be taken away. And so as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we can be sure that he is present with us. But also we know on the cross that Christ conquered the greatest of our enemies, both sin and death. And so we can have that assurance that the Lord is my shepherd, that he walks with me even through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for he is with me and his rod and his staff, they protect me. Uh, Calvin, as I said earlier, said that the Lord, we're always, we always dwell under the protection of God. Nonetheless, we are exposed to dangers and afflictions that are common to all humanity. Well, as I thought about that, uh, as just sort of a closing illustration, I want to return to the life of Job. I shared with you a little bit, sort of from Job's perspective, but there's something else that's going on in that first chapter of Job, and uh, it starts in, actually in verse 6. And let me just read to you Job 1, 6 and following. He goes, Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And of course, the Lord, knowing that Satan had been on the earth, you know, he asked him, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on all the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? And Satan says, Well, yeah, duh, of course he does. He said, you've blessed him so much. You've put a hedge of protection around him. Nobody can touch him. You know, you take all that away, he'll curse you to your face. And so we read in verse 12, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. I want you to notice that in that... Uh, illustration, you see God taking his son Job through the dark valleys. Did you notice who was the one that put the target on Job's back so that Satan would be drawn to him? It was God. God said, if you consider my servant Job. And so, of course, Satan, he'd love to take the opportunity to go after one of God's children. And so Satan did, and he did with a vengeance. Uh, to do evil and to do harm to Job. But God was sovereignly present with Job. God protected Job. And, and he actually wouldn't let Satan only go so far in Job's life. God set limits on Satan to protect Job. And so in the same way, brothers and sisters, God protects us. There may be things, dark times that come into our lives, but they can only go so far. They can only do that which will accomplish the purpose of God 
for his good and his glory and for our good as well. And what really matters as we face the ultimate issues of life is not that we can face those issues with a calm, untroubled spirit, but that we face them holding fast to Jesus Christ. That He is our hope. And I don't know where you're at here this morning. I don't know the things that you are going through. But whether you're going through deep waters this morning, whether you are walking through the valley or not, you will at some point in time. And I think it's important for us to remember where is our only comfort in life and death. And I just want to close by reading the first uh, answer to the Heidelberg Catechism as it lays it out so well. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Please bow with me, if you would, this morning. And let us reflect upon God's word preached to us today. Lord and our shepherd. You know there are no more difficult times in our lives than when you take us through the valley of the shadow of death. It's in those times, oh God, that we learn more than just the fact that we cannot handle all things. But it's in those times that we really, truly come to see you for who you are. And what you think of your people. Oh God, I pray for any today that may be walking through those dark valleys of, of the shadow of death. That you would be their comfort as you are present with them. Protecting them and caring for them and guiding them. Oh Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk with you each and every day. To, to, to know you, Lord, as you... Lead us down the paths of righteousness. That God, that we would uh, draw close to you and, and just to walk in faith, knowing that you are close to us. 
that, Father, that when those times come, when we do walk through the dark valleys, that, Lord, we will already be close to you, looking to you, keeping our eyes fixed upon you, knowing who you are. And so, Father, as our faith is tested, as Satan seeks to rip us from your hands, knowing that he cannot, uh, that we can rest in the everlasting arms to know that you are God and that we can trust you. Oh, Father, we thank you and we pray these things in your name. Amen.